Thanks, guys. Good morning. Everyone loves a good story, right? From the earliest age that we can remember, stories have always been able to have a, an impact on our lives. Stories can bring us hope. They can fill us with joy. They can bring us comfort. And stories can also create within us fear, can make us sad, can evoke a sense of uneasiness, right? But here's something about every good story. Every good story causes us to do one thing, that is engage our minds, engage our imaginations. See, whenever we are hearing, listening to, or even reading a good story, our minds create images of the people and the places that are found within that story that we're listening to or reading about. And, and a good storyteller wants their hearers to do that very thing, to, to engage their imagination. I don't know why you say all that, Trent. Well, Jesus, we know, was a great teacher, full stop. He was a great teacher, no doubt about it. Read through the Gospels, and you will find that Jesus' teaching was both radical and insightful. But as a teacher, Jesus often employed the technique of storytelling. He was a master storyteller. We, ca we call his stories parables. And, and when Jesus was telling these super short, short stories, he always had a point to make, usually one main point, something that he wanted his hearers, those who were listening to him in that moment, to understand and believe primarily about himself and as he told those stories, understanding what stories could do in somebody's mind, he wanted them to engage their imaginations. He wanted them to mentally see the stories. He, he wanted them to, to feel something as he told the stories. Not just so they could have some kind of a, an emotional reaction to the story, whether it was one of hope or comfort or surprise or shock, but so that ultimately having heard the story, having it connect to their, their, their hearts and their minds, they would then begin to change something in their own lives. Today, we're starting a new series called Kingdom Stories. And over the next couple of months, we're going to look at a specific group of parables, a specific group of stories that Jesus taught called kingdom parables. Now, we refer to them as kingdom parables, well, because Jesus says at the beginning of each of the parables that we're going to teach over the next couple of months, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Then he continues with his story to help his hearers gain some insight into his kingdom, kingdom stories, kingdom parables. And as we look at the stories first 
And most importantly, we have to understand what Jesus was teaching, what his main point was in teaching that particular story. If we miss his main point, if we miss what Jesus wanted his hearers to hear and to learn and understand, then we've missed the point completely. But once we begin to understand what Jesus wanted those who were listening to understand, then we should be able to engage our, our own imaginations a little bit. And I want us to be able to do that. I want us to be able to think about how the stories that Jesus told can and should change us. See, I wanted to impact how we see Christ and his kingdom and how we see ourselves living as part of that kingdom. Now, before we actually get into the parables, I've got to lay some groundwork. Some of this is going to be review. If you've been a part of Zion for, for a while, you've heard me walk through some of this. For others, this might be brand new information. You may have not heard it taught this way before. But, um, but I think it's important that when we, when we talk about the kingdom, we're all thinking the same thing. We're all on the same page. So, uh, again, a couple of questions that we have to ask and, and answer. Number one is, what is the kingdom? What, what do we even mean when we talk about the kingdom? More importantly, what did Jesus mean when, when he talks about the kingdom and why does the kingdom matter? Well, let's start with the second question first. The kingdom, talk of the kingdom, was a huge emphasis throughout Jesus' ministry. He talked about his kingdom in his first sermon when he said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His very first sermon that he ever preached, handful of words, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words, and it included talk of his kingdom being here, being at hand. His most famous sermon, right, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's how he starts the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When he was teaching on prayer, what did he include? We prayed it today. He said, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven, that next slide, Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Boom. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the most memorized passages, one of the most quotable verses, many of you probably learned this growing up if you grew up in church, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said to us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you, right? These were things that, that Jesus talked about continually. He always talked about the kingdom. When he was talking about the future, Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, if Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot, clearly he did. Shouldn't we make sure we understand what he meant, right? Of course we should, right? Now, this is where, again, we've got to go slow. 
because this is where we must know what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom. When Jesus talked, uh, talked and taught about the kingdom, he wasn't simply talking about the future. Many of us grew up in traditions that whenever we read about the kingdom of heaven, we automatically connected it to something in the future. The kingdom of heaven is something to look forward to. It's not something that we could know or experience now. But remember Jesus' first sermon? He said in his first sermon, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here right now. So, so we've got to get it out of our mind that whenever we talk about the kingdom, it's just something out there in the future, all right? Jesus, when he talked about and taught on the kingdom, wasn't talking about something that we can spot on the map or a place that we visit now. The, the kingdom of heaven isn't like going to Disney World or it's not going to the beach. It, it, it's much bigger than something that you can Google to find, Right? So it's not just a spot on the map. It's not something out there in the future. But to be clear, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he is talking about something that is real, and it's something that we can enter into, and it's something that we can be partakers of, that we can participate in his kingdom. So if you're taking notes, broadly stated, the, the, in, in, the most broad, in the broadest terms possible, the kingdom of heaven, or Jesus often referred to it as the kingdom of God. You can use them interchangeably. The kingdom of heaven is simply the place where God rules. It's the place where God reigns. And when we think of the kingdom, we can think of it in, in, in several different ways, but two, two in particular. We can begin to think of the kingdom as the rule of an, of an eternal God over all the universe. And we see this in Psalm 103, verse 19, when the psalmist wrote this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So in that sense, when we think of the kingdom as the rule of an eternal God over all the universe, we can say this, that everything, everything that exists exists because of and is under the rule of a sovereign God. But more narrowly, more narrowly, and for the purpose of, of this series, what I want us to understand is this. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom, he wasn't referring to this sense that everything comes under the rule of the eternal sovereign God. What Jesus was driving at and what we're going to drive at with this series is much more personal. It's much more specific. In, in, in Jesus' language, when he talks of the kingdom of God, he is talking about the spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of anyone who bows their knee to Jesus and submits to his authority in their life. That, that's the kingdom. It, it's the, the rule over the hearts and lives of those who call themselves his followers. See, when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was making a declaration about that kingdom. And that declaration was this. The kingdom is here, and I am that king. 
I am that king of this kingdom of which I am communicating about, of which I am talking about. So when we talk about the king or about the kingdom, there is a sense that it's proper to say the kingdom is already here and that kingdom has a king and his name is Jesus. And that's true. The kingdom is already here. But there's another sense of the kingdom all right? And we see a glimpse into this if we fast forward to the end of Jesus' life when he is taken before Pilate, right? And do you remember the words that he gave to Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36? When he's standing before Pilate, he, he makes this famous statement. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be, be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Again, in that moment, Jesus was referring to a, a new kingdom where he will rule and reign completely. And if we just look around, we, we don't see a kingdom. We don't see that realm where Jesus rules completely. At least not yet, but it's coming. The day is coming when the government will be upon his shoulders, where he will rule completely in a tangible, visible way. So when we think about the kingdom in that sense, we would say this, the kingdom is already here, but also we can say the kingdom is not yet here. And right now you're thinking, Trent, what in the world are you smoking? Like, you're trying to drop some sci-fi, matrixy, multiverse stuff on us right now, aren't you? How can something be here and not yet here? You don't make any sense whatsoever, Trent. This does not compute. You, you've been watching, you know, too many shows on Netflix. This doesn't make sense. Well, let me try to explain it to you. See my daughter? Hi, daughter just like we planned it. Notice my daughter. She has a son. His name is Joey. Is Joey here? Yes, he is. You can see Joey. Is Joey fully here? No, not yet. Soon, right? Soon. So in that sense, when you, when you see a woman who is pregnant, you can say that the baby is here. The baby is real. The baby exists, but the baby is not yet here. Here, but not yet here. You don't like that one? How about thinking about seasons? December 21st, what happened on, 20, on December 21st? It marked the start of what? Started the start of winter, right? The winter season is here. But did we feel or were we feeling the effects of winter on December 21st? No. Did that mean that winter wasn't here? No, winter was here, we just hadn't seen its effects. It really was until yesterday that we saw the effects of the season that we here in western Pennsylvania understand as being typical for winter. Think about it in another term. If I, if I were to, to close these curtains here, right, if we just started pulling the string and the curtains closed, when we think of the, of, of the kingdom this realm that is real and, and, and that we can see and then this realm that, that is real but we don't yet see completely, it would be like closing these curtains. If we close these curtains, would those instruments still exist? Would they still be there? 
Sure they would. We just couldn't, we just wouldn't be able to, to see them. And so when we think about the, the, the kingdom of God, in, in a sense, there, there's a part of God's kingdom that is very much very real and very tangible, but we can't see it. But every once in a while, God will pull back the curtain and we get a glimpse into what his kingdom looks like, what his kingdom is all about. Is we, we long to have that curtain not just pulled back a little bit, but we long for and we look forward to the day when that curtain is ripped completely open and all of God's kingdom, all of his rule and reign is experienced by his creation, by his kids, by those of us who've been adopted into to his family. We get to experience it in its fullness. So, when Jesus taught what we call these kingdom parables. He was teaching something specific about his kingdom. And as he taught, he left room for the hearers to use their imaginations to consider the implications of what he just said through story. That's my long introduction. Now, we're going to look at two of those parables very quickly this morning, and I promise it will be very quickly because they're very short. They're actually three sentences, two parables and three sentences. So if you have your Bible, open to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. <clears throat> and here's the thing that I want, if you're gonna memorize anything as we start this series about the kingdom, here's how I want you to think about the kingdom. Here's a, a good definition of the kingdom that we'll come back to again and again and again and again during this, this, this whole um, journey that we're gonna go on. And, and write this down. Wherever Jesus rules, there is the kingdom. Wherever Jesus rules, there is the kingdom. And having said that, here's my my challenge to all of us. Let's, let, let's make the first test of the kingdom our hearts. Because that's really the starting place for all of us. We need to look in our own hearts and ask ourselves, has the kingdom come here? Have I experienced, have I entered into, am I a part of the kingdom because when it comes to my heart, who I am, the very core of me, Jesus rules. Based on Jesus' words, can we say, I know I've entered his kingdom because I'm allowing him to rule my heart. I've done, as we're going to start reading right now, I've done what the characters in these stories did. Now, to the stories. And what I want you to do, and, and again, this is not some, you know, Eastern kind of, you know, yoga, transcendental statement that I'm going to make right now, but I'm going to read these stories. I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to think about them. I want you to, to mentally try to picture these stories. They're short. They're literally three sentences. Both parables are three sentences. And I want you to try to imagine yourself in the story. You are the characters that Jesus is speaking of. Use your imagination. All right? If you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 13. And these are two parables that I think are a good start for this series. Jesus said this, that the kingdom of heaven, the 
the kingdom of heaven, my rule is like this. It's like a treasure that is hidden in a field. Buried treasure. We all like stories about buried treasures. Which a man or a woman found. Oh, oh my goodness. What is this? A buried treasure. And then covers it up. Then, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has. He cashes in everything so that he could buy the field so that the treasure buried in the field could be his. That's a story that Jesus told. And then he follows that up with another story. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. That's their job. They're, they're, a, they're a pearl hunter. It's what they do day in and day out. And as they're going about their business of looking for and finding and purchasing pearls, found one pearl of great value, stood out above every other pearl. When they found it, they went and sold all that he had and bought it. Cut scene. That's it. Two very simple, very simple parables. What was Jesus driving at in those two stories? Well, in its simplest explanation, I think to me, that Jesus is talking about sacrifice and commitment. But beyond that, he, he's, he, he's driving at our ability to make a decision, our ability to make a decision that we know will cost us something in order to gain something even better. Our ability to make a decision that we know will cost us something in order to have something, to gain something even better. See, I, I, I recognize this. In all of our journeys, we've had moments where we've had to wrestle with the reality that, that following Jesus means that we have to make sacrifices. And sometimes we have wrestled with whether or not this particular sacrifice or this particular commitment was necessary or worth it or if we really do want to make that commitment. Make that sacrifice, make that decision. These parables really help us to see what motivates or what ought to motivate the willing obedience of those of us, of those of us who call ourselves his disciples. See, in the first parable, the man finds a treasure. Doesn't look, he's not looking for it, he stumbles upon it. He finds a treasure in the field. In the second, the man seeks the most valuable pearl he can find. And both of these parables, again, I think, make this similar point about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or as we're saying it, the rule of Christ in our hearts, the rule of Christ in our lives. And that's simply this, receiving it, receiving the kingdom of heaven, receiving and welcoming the rule of Christ in our lives brings us joy it brings us joy, but requires us 
valuing it above everything else. There is no doubt about it. The followers of Jesus who maintain a sense of his lordship, of his kingship over their hearts and lives are the, are the most joy-filled followers of Jesus that I've ever met and will ever meet. But if you begin to unpack their story and get to know them, they will tell you that in order to get to that place, they had to value Jesus above everything else. They had to see Jesus and his rule and his reign in their hearts as the hidden treasure that they would do anything to have. They began to see Jesus as the pearl of great price, knowing that they had to sacrifice everything so they could have him as ruler, as king. Again, if you look at those stories, the order matters. The, both of those parables, there, there is this joy over finding the treasure. There is this joy, there's this excitement over finding this pearl. Then there's the willingness to sell all in order to possess the treasure, to possess the, pull, the, the pearl. And see, again, in your life and my life, if, if we don't see the joy of making Jesus our master, of making him the ruler of our hearts and lives, we won't give up anything. It's not until we begin to see him, treasure him above everything that leads us to sacrifice. See, in the story, their sacrifice was not out of obligation. We don't read of these, these two characters in these stories doing what they did begrudgingly, but they made their decision to sell everything out of joy of what was to come, the joy of having the treasure, of having the pearl. And our joy of having Jesus rule our hearts should produce inside of us a willingness to give everything that we have to God. And, and yes, we can, we can hit those simple uh, pastoral go-tos, right? To give our time, to give our talents, to give our resources, right? Those are the, you know, those are the big, big ones, right? So that Christ can rule. But beyond that, we, we have to wrestle with this reality that for, 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 for some if we're going to treasure Christ above all, we have to be willing to sacrifice, to set aside our own political ideals, to treasure him. We, we have to be willing to set aside our own views on, on our own sexuality or the sexuality of others to treasure him above all. We have to be willing to set aside and, and, and say, you know what, it's not about my priorities it's about his priorities. We have to be willing to set aside our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our selfishness, our pride, our, again, fill in the blanks and say, you know what, I'm gonna give those things up because I see a better treasure and his name is Jesus and I want him to rule. I want him to reign in my heart, in my life. His rule in my heart is of greater value because it brings greater joy. Have you settled that in your heart? That his rule is of greater value because his rule brings greater joy. Our joy in obeying Jesus should be what causes us to be willing 
to deny ourselves, to love our enemies, to give to the poor, to love our neighbors. Again, when we treasure Jesus, the, the, the radical life change that follows is the kind of life change that does cause people to stop and look and go, something's different about them. They respond differently. They prioritize differently. They speak differently. They love differently. They just, they're just different. There, there's something in them. And that something, that something is the joy of discovering the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, and that is the rule of Christ in our lives. Again, let me just recoil and, and say it another, different, another way. See, when we think about the implications of these parables, it really comes down to, to simple economics, right? And some of you are like, turn off, don't want to talk about it. Other you guys are like, ooh, economics, now you're talking my talk, right? Well, economics, the study of economics has a collection of theories that help to govern uh, the study of economics. And one of the most important inside of the, 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 the field of economics is known as the theory of value. How many of you know what the theory of value is? Nobody? Okay. The theory of value, and you'll, when I say I'm like, oh, duh. I don't need an economics class to know that. But the theory of values is, simply tells us that individuals place different value on different things. Duh, right? Simple enough, right? For example, the value that Amy places on her car may not be the same as the value that, that, you know, that Paula places on her car. Leah may think, or Paula may think that $2,000 is a fair price for Amy's vehicle, but if Amy's not willing to sell it for less than $3,000, she does not agree with Paula on the car's value. Simple enough, right? The same thing is true for collectibles. I'll give you X amount of dollars for that baseball card, for that jersey. Somebody else might look at that and go, that ain't worth it. Well, we all value things differently. Other collectibles or antiques, right? Same thing goes, right? If someone values something, here's the point. If someone values something, they will pay whatever it takes to possess it. So, what does that have to do with us and God's kingdom? It's very simple. As we begin this series, the question that we have to wrestle with is, is, is this. How much do I value Jesus' rule in my heart? If Jesus' rule in your heart is a high value, then you'll do whatever you have to do in order to experience his rule. I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice to make his rule a reality. Well, what would I have to sacrifice? What would I have to give up? We'd have to, I've already mentioned some of them, but, but, but again, this is a good time to remind ourselves that, that we're really good at creating idols and scholars have kind of over time settled on, on what they would call four root idols that we always have to wrestle with. And I'm gonna put them up on the screen just a little bit of a, as a review because something always rules our heart. Something or someone, and these are some of the idols that tend to rule our hearts instead of, instead of Christ. For some, power. Some, our idol is power. Power rules our heart, that, that longing for, for influence and recognition. 
And for some, we might need to get to the place and say, you know, because I want Jesus to rule my heart, I'm going to sacrifice my need for power at work or my power in this relationship. I don't have to have, have, the, have the power. I don't have to have the upper hand. Others, it's control. It's a longing to have everything go according to their plan. Everything has got to go the way you want it to go. And for, for you, you might need to say, Jesus, because I want you to rule my heart, I'm going to let go of my need to have everything lined up before I step up and step out in faith. For some, it's the idol of comfort, a longing for pleasure. If that's you, you might need to say, God, I, I want Jesus to rule my heart, and because I want him to rule my heart, I'm going to be more willing to say no to the things that, that simply make life easier for me. Because that's what some of us seek all the time, is the path of the most comfort. And if it, if it helps make me more comfortable, I'm all about it. If it makes me a little discomfort, if it creates a little bit of discomfort for me, I'm not sure about that. And, and that can play itself out in a million different ways. For some, it's approval, that longing to be accepted or desired. For some, you might need to say, Jesus, because I want you to rule my heart, I'm going to give up living my life for the approval of others, the approval of my family, the approval of my friends, the approval of my, the approval of my coworkers, the approval of the culture that I find myself a part of. Because at some point in time, Jesus ruling our hearts will put us at odds with the approval of others. It just will. It just will. Again, we talk over the years about the kingdom a lot. And we're going to continue to use kingdom language. But as we start this series, we need to understand what we mean when we talk about the kingdom. We're talking about the rule of Christ. Wherever Jesus rules, there is the kingdom. And it always, always, always begins personally with us. I want to make sure that Jesus is ruling my heart, my life. It's the starting point, but it doesn't end there. When we talk about kingdom, tell me if this is familiar. We want to be advancing his kingdom. We sang about it this morning. We want to build his kingdom. We want to, we want to grow the kingdom, right? This is movement-oriented. This is outward-oriented. So what, what, what does that mean? Well, again, it starts with us, but it doesn't start, it doesn't end there. It continues with our desire for others to have Jesus ruling their hearts. And so that's the, the next question I'll ask as we wrap things up this morning. We need to ask ourselves during this series, do I, do I value Jesus' rule in my heart? But we also need to ask, do I value Jesus' rule in the hearts of others. Do, do I really want Jesus to rule my neighbor's heart? Some of you say, absolutely, you don't know my neighbor. My coworkers, my friends, my loved ones. Like if we really want Christ's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then what we're saying is I want more and more people around me to come underneath the rule of Christ. And, and that's good old-fashioned 
evangelism, sharing the gospel, talking with other people about Jesus. But the, the reason why we do that is because at the very core of who we are, I want his rule to spread. I want his kingdom to expand, to grow, to advance. And the way that that happens is one heart at a time. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if we treasure Christ, our heart is going to, it's going to overflow with joy. And, and it's going to influence how we talk and how we live and what we say and do with others. Again, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else, he says, it's going to take care of itself. So as we start off this new year, where's the kingdom? And if you look inside and you say, you know what? At best, it's a, it's a duality of the kingdom. There's a part of me that wants to be in control. There's a part of me that wants Jesus to be in control. And Jesus says, that don't work for me. That's, I'm the king. And if you want me to be king, let me be king. If you want me to rule, let me rule. And we'll never do it perfectly. And we're going to talk about this in some of the, the parables to come. We'll never do this perfectly. But, but we've got to start somewhere. And for some at the beginning of 2024, it might be simply coming and kneeling and praying and saying, Jesus, the best that I know how to, I'm presenting my heart, myself, my life to you. And I'm inviting, I'm asking, I want you to be my king. I want you to be in charge. I want you to rule my life because you are the hidden treasure. You are that pearl of great price. And I'll do anything to make sure that you're the king. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. And we're gonna sing a song, a new song, that probably you're gonna to wanna to listen to a little bit. This is a song that really takes many of the parables that we're gonna be talking about over the next several weeks and, and, and kind of puts them to song and helps you to see kind of visualize. I want you to use your imagination. That's what I want you to do as we sing. And I want you to imagine this is what the kingdom is all about. This is what the kingdom is like. This is, this is what it looks like to be, be a part of this, this kingdom adventure, this kingdom story. And then I want you to respond. And, and my challenge to Zion, all of you guys, and, and there's, we're, we're all friends and family here, not a ton of new faces, but I want us to be willing to, to respond, to worship Jesus, to, to repent and, and make a confession of, like, God, this is my declaration. I want you to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, pray with me as we start this new year. I want Jesus to be king of my life. Matt and Ron are gonna be down front. Jacob and Tanya are gonna come down front. Pam and I will be down front. And if you guys just want people just to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you, we'd love the opportunity to do that as we start off this, this new year. I saw this quote this week, and I'll end with this. Somebody said this, that the kingdom of God is of such surpassing value that it demands our complete and joyful surrender. And the sacrifice is incomparable to the treasure that is gained.
And I hope that's how you feel about Christ's rule in your heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to to hear your word, to respond to your word. And I pray, God, that your spirit would continue to move in and amongst us. Um, Help us now as as we respond in obedience. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and however God is leading you, let's, let's, let's respond.